Okay, so let's get to our message today. It comes from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. We're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount here. So let's get to our text today, Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. The Word of God reads, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The light, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Last verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Father, we depend upon you for today's word. God, we pray that you'll just speak clearly to each one of us that we might truly know how to live out your righteousness for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, we just finished a series where Jesus has been teaching us not to live out our righteousness for the eyes of men, but to live it for God alone. And now that that warning is over, Jesus finally gets to teach us how we can live our lives now for God alone. And so in the next three sermons, he's going to share with us three huge kingdom values and kingdom perspectives that he wants all of his followers to not only enjoy, but to operate in. And so he begins each one of these perspectives with a command, which is really interesting. He begins each one of these perspectives with a command not to do something very naturally human, but then he teaches us what is of ultimate value for us. And so my prayer through these next three weeks is that we will feel the weightiness of these teachings. You know, we'll really realize how huge these teachings are and the reason why God is teaching us how, that these are the main things that we need to live for God. And so, and I hope that we see that our relationship with God, our witness to the world, as well as our calling in this earthly life can actually be threatened if we get any one of these three wrong. So let's take to heart what Jesus says and let's get ready to change whatever needs to be changed so that our lives can count for God. Okay, is that pretty heavy? Did I, did I set it up pretty heavy? That's what I meant to do. So if I did, that's good. Anyway, uh, let's begin with today. Did you guys know uh, what topic Jesus preached on the most in his earthly ministry? Can anyone guess? Was it heaven, salvation? That would make sense, wouldn't it, if Jesus preached most of his sermon on salvation or heaven? Do you think he preached about the kingdom or maybe the Father? Those are all actually wrong. Do you know what the topic he preached the most on while he was on, uh, here on earth? It was actually on money. Isn't that interesting? That the number one thing Jesus preached on while he was here on earth was about money. Why is that? Why did Jesus preach about money? And the answer is very simple. The reason why he did is because the love of money is one of God's greatest competitors for our souls, if not the greatest competitor for 
our souls. The love of money has the power to destroy your spiritual life. Isn't that scary? The love of money has the power to destroy our spiritual lives and everything that we may have gained from these teachings in the Sermon on the Mount up until now. That's pretty scary. That's pretty huge. But what Paul says in 1 Timothy is actually a little bit more scary. Look what he says in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. Isn't that crazy? The love of money is the root of all evil and all kinds of evil. And then he says, Some people eager for money, living for money, have wandered from the faith. They've pierced themselves with many griefs. And Jesus knew that the love of money had that kind of power. And that's why Jesus preached that often about the power of the love of money in our lives. And that's why he begins this section of teaching with this topic here. Let's hit it in verse 19 and 20. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermins destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. What Jesus is saying here is very simple. Don't live for earthly treasures. It's that simple. Do not live your life for earthly treasures. Why? Because all earthly wealth can be taken away or destroyed. Moths destroy what? Clothing, right? Vermin, like mice and rats and those kind of things, they destroy, they destroy grain storages. <laughs> you know, none of us have grain storages. But, you know, so clothes and, and grain storages, these things were symbols and they represented wealth back in Jesus's day. You know, and so this is what he's saying. As well as thieves break into homes and steal our jewels or our precious metals. Don't live, Jesus says, to amass earthly wealth of any kind because these things can be taken away or destroyed. They don't last. They don't carry over into eternity. They may have some value here on earth while we're here on earth, but they have no value in heaven. Therefore, it is a complete waste of a life. To live for things that don't count for eternity. Do you guys know there was a whole book in the Bible? There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to this one message. Do you guys know this? It's the book of Ecclesiastes. Anybody hear that book? The book of Ecclesiastes? In this book, the wisest man in history, King Solomon, he talks about things on earth. Good things. Okay? He talks about things like the advancement of technology and industry. He talks about work ethics. He talks about the pleasures of sex, which is good. You know, he talks about reputation and power in society. He talks about philosophies and philosophical discussion. But as good as all those things might be, and they are good, he actually goes through the book and he dismisses each one of them and calls them vanity. And he says he calls them, you know, striving after the wind. Do you guys know what the word vanity means? You know, we think that it means vain, and it does. But in this particular case, the word vanity, one professor says, means transient, which means that Solomon is saying they're, they're vanity because they don't endure. You know, when we die, we cannot take any of those things with us. Therefore, Solomon concludes that to invest our lives in any of these good earthly things is absolutely vain and useless. There is a whole book of the Bible 
dedicated to teaching us the absolute uselessness of living for earthly things. Do you guys know that? It's the book of Ecclesiastes. You should pick it up sometime. Do you know what the conclusion that he comes to after 12 chapters? Do you know what the conclusion is that Solomon comes to after 12 chapters of listing everything that's useless, good but useless, in the earth? This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. He says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. What is he saying here? How can I sum this up? Solomon concludes that life only has meaning in light of our creator. You know, our lives only have meaning in light of our creator. Everything else, no matter how good it is, is transient and meaningless. So, he says, live for God because he is the only thing that lasts. Live for God because he is the only one that matters. Which leads us back to what Jesus is saying in our passage today, doesn't it? It says, don't live for earthly wealth. Why? Because it doesn't last. It doesn't count. Instead, Jesus says, live for eternal wealth, treasure in heaven, because that lasts forever. Right? So the question is, Eddie, what are those treasures in heaven that Jesus is talking about here? You know, what are those things? And, you know, if you read scripture, it kind of gives us windows into what those treasures might be when we get to heaven. Uh, and what I'm about to share with you is nothing compared to what it's actually really going to be like. But I found this list of a few things that a theologian wrote in one of his books about the, some of the treasures we're going to encounter in heaven. So I thought I'd share that with you today. Here's one thing we're going to encounter in heaven. Here's one of the treasures. Pure love shared between one another. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but we've never experienced that here on earth. Pure love shared between one another. We might have experienced the pure love of God for us, but we've never experienced that towards one another. You're not from your father or mother, not from your wife or your husband. We've never experienced pure love. That's going to be pretty cool, isn't it, to experience that love from one another? Sinless interactions with each other. Work, yes, we're going to work in heaven. Work with perfect responsibility, integrity, and without fatigue. Can you imagine working without fatigue? Deeply felt emotions that can be shared. I think that's one for the women, because I don't think guys care about deeply felt emotions you know, too much. But maybe we do. Uh, worship without restraint or hypocrisy. But most of all, the most personal and unrestricted access to the presence of God. Right? These cannot be stolen. These will never lose its value. And we can begin investing in all of those things right now with our lives here on earth, right? So the teaching is very clear, isn't it? Jesus is forbidding us to make wealth and possessions our ultimate pursuit in life. Do you guys get that? That's the teaching. Do not make wealth or possessions your ultimate pursuit in life. In life. Now, I want to be clear here, because I know we all get very nervous whenever we talk about money in church. Jesus is not preaching against money itself, 
right? He is not against saving for the future or working hard to provide for your family. He's not against making money, and he's not against enjoying your possessions. Those are gifts that God has given us. Those are our responsibilities. And when God sees us exercise those responsibilities for our families, for our lives, that is good. He's also not against being rich, okay? Being rich is not a sin. Being rich is not wrong or bad. The Bible even says that God is the one who makes people rich, and God is the one who also makes people poor. So what is he against then? What he is against, to be very clear, is living to make money and to amass possessions as our ultimate value and pursuit in this life. Jesus says, do not Live to get wealthy and to amass possessions. Let that not be your ultimate pursuit in this life. Not only is this wrong, but it can be eternally devastating. You know, I've been a pastor now for over like 25 years. And I've had so many people come to me and share with me in tears how they have, you know, done sinned and they may have cheated on their partners. You know, they may have they may be completely addicted to certain habits in their lives and they've done how all these immoral things and because of that they feel like that they are distant from God. You know, and not only that but they share with me in tears that you know, I don't know if I even value God anymore. I don't know if I really even want to live for God. And those statements all make sense, don't they? Because we all know the devastating effects that sin has upon our relationship with God. It totally kills our desire for God. And so those things make sense. But I've, in all my years of pastoring, I've never had someone come up to me and say, Eddie, you know, I find it really, really hard to seek after God because of my greed. No one's ever said that to me. Eddie, I feel, very, I feel so distant from God because I'm so materialistic. I've never heard that in my pastor's office or anything like that, or in a one-on-one counseling session. You know, it just doesn't happen. And the reason why is, for some reason, we think greed and materialism is kind of not on the same level as being addicted to drugs, you know, or cheating on our partners. Am I right? You know, we, we kind of think they're, they're on two different levels here. That just proves how much all of us have been deceived, right? Because it's true that those sins are different, but the sinful effects of greed and materialism within our lives not only have the same effects, but they might be even more devastating. I mean, if Jesus preaches over half of his sermons on the dangers of loving money and how it can steal away our hearts, you know, and its subtle allure and its seductive power over our lives, then we need to take those sins of greed and materialism just as seriously as Jesus does, don't we? But unfortunately, many times, we don't. Have you ever noticed that materialism and greed has almost become like the acceptable sin in church? Like, we all know it's wrong. Right? We all know. We learned it in high school you know, or junior high. We all know that greed is wrong. That's sin. We all know that materialism is sin. We've all, been to, we've all learned it. But when was the last time you were rebuked for it? I can't even remember. I don't think anyone's ever rebuked me for buying a pair of shoes. You know? No one. Well, maybe. I, my wife does all the time. But, you know, I don't, but when was the last time you were rebuked for it? Materialism and greed has just become the accepted norms. That's just what we do in our 20s and 30s, isn't it? And it's normal. 
And it's okay. You know, I mean, people expect us to gather wealth in our 20s and 30s. They expect us to fatten our bank accounts. They expect us to move into bigger homes and better suburbs. They expect us to strive to live more comfortably, even luxuriously. I mean, isn't this what our parents have been telling us ever since they landed here? You know, ever since they immigrated, we came to give you a bigger and better life. So therefore, go claim it. Go live it. It's yours. You know, you better. You know, or we just wasted our whole lives moving here to Australia. This is what we've heard. And if we're honest, here we go. And this is what it's done to our generation. It's not the glory of God or the preaching of the gospel to all nations or making disciples by being salt and light or even loving God and loving others. But it's wealth, the pursuit of wealth and possessions which have become the true goal of so many in our generation today. And if we as the church continue to allow this, then people who are in love with Jesus today will one day wake up and no longer care about Jesus tomorrow. And I'm going to fathom a guess. I bet all of us in this room probably have a few friends that have already gone down that path. If you live as long as I do, unfortunately, I've seen way too many go down this path. Jesus is completely against living to make money and to amass possessions as our ultimate value because it absolutely hijacks everything eternal within our lives. How do we know this? Verse 21. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here, Jesus is saying is that whatever you choose to live for, there your heart will follow. This word heart can be translated as your whole being or everything that you are, everything that your life is about. So Jesus is saying that whatever you choose to treasure in this life, your whole life cannot help but to pursue it with all that it has. Our treasures govern our lives. Our treasures control and direct our lives. And if we treasure things on earth, then guess what? All the values of the kingdom will eventually get squeezed out of our lives. One day we're going to wake up and we won't have any more kingdom values anymore. We'll only treasure and value the things of earth. But the flip side is the encouraging part. Because if we choose to value the things of heaven, then our hearts and our beings will go towards heaven and the things of earth will slowly but surely get squeezed out of our lives as well. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. Our whole life follows our treasure. And since that's the case, then we as believers who want to live out Christ's righteousness need to make sure that we're constantly what? Treasuring what's eternal, right? And how do we do that? The answer is this. Keep our eyes fixated upon Christ. Verse 22, 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of what? Darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is it saying? Jesus is saying that the eyes of your body determine whether you are filled with light or darkness. It's very simple, right? The eyes of your body determine whether you're filled with light or darkness. You can either be a healthy lamp, which is filled with light, or you can be an unhealthy lamp, which is filled with darkness. Here we go. Jesus is the light that this passage is talking about. Okay? What that means is healthy lamps are filled with Christ. Unhealthy lamps are completely void of Christ. It's that simple. 
Okay, what does that mean for us? It means that if you want your life to be full of Christ, if you want your heart to be passionate for the eternal, then he, Christ, must be your ultimate pursuit. It's that simple. This is what he's saying, right? Our days must be characterized by a singleness of purpose and an unwavering loyalty and devotion to Christ. This is the only way that we can keep our vision clear and maintain vibrant affections for what is eternal. Do you guys get that? He must be your ultimate pursuit. What's the alternative? If you fix your eyes on the things of the world, here we go, then even what light you began with will turn into darkness. And one day you're going to wake up and realize that you're in complete darkness. Isn't that sad? Isn't that scary? You know, the seriousness of Christ's words here cannot be underestimated nor overstated. What he is saying is that this is an all or nothing pursuit. You're either going to completely pursue Christ and eternal things with your life, or you're going to pursue money and the things of this world. Those are the two choices. How do we know this? Verse 24. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What is he saying here? He's saying money and God will always be opponents in your life. Money and God will always be the greatest competitors for your soul. That's what he's saying here, right? But he's very crystal clear. We can only be ruled by one. Only one can rule us. We only have space in our hearts and our souls for one ruler. It's all or nothing. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that such an interesting sentence, isn't it? Jesus doesn't say, you know, no one should serve both God and money. It's not a should statement, you know. No one must serve God and money. That's not, it's not a must statement. But what is he saying here? No one can. It's a statement of inability. It's a statement of impossibility. No one can serve both God and money. Why is that? Because both are masters that demand our total devotion. If you're going to pursue money with your life, there's no room for God. Jesus just said that. And God, what did God say? God said, if you're going to pursue me and if you're going to love me with your life, there's only one way that you can do that. And how is that? With all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind and strength, right? Both masters demand complete devotion. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Loving God and loving money are mutually exclusive pursuits. Therefore, it is impossible for those pursuits to overlap. Now, when I first heard this, I'll be very honest with you, even as a pastor, I said, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, Jesus. I can live for money with my life, and I can also serve the church. Boom, there you go. You know, I can live for money with my life, and I can also give offering. Boom, there you go. So I don't know what you're talking about, because, you know, it's 2020. We're a little bit smarter than those people 2,000 years ago. You know, here we go. But if we truly understand what Jesus is saying here, then we're simply deceiving ourselves, aren't we? Right? Either we are living to love God with all that we have and therefore using our money and possessions to love others with all that we have, or we are not. That's it. Right? And if God says that it's impossible, then it's impossible, which teaches us what? Very, very practically. It teaches us 
that in our Christian walks, we cannot walk the fence on this one. You know, we can't have one foot in, one foot out. It's either all or nothing. We need to choose whether we're going to live to store up treasures here on earth with our lives or we're going to store up treasures in heaven. We're going to choose the, either the earthly or the eternal. We cannot do both at the exact same time. And the choice that Jesus is commanding us is to do what? Choose the eternal. Right? It lasts. It's the only thing that counts. So live for that which is eternal. And, and, the, and the biggest reason why is because the consequences of the alternative are too horrific to bear. Right? He says, if you live for that, you're jeopardizing everything that you just gained from the Sermon on the Mount. And for what? A higher tax bracket? German engineering? 8K resolution? You know, what is it worth it? Nothing in this world is worth losing your intimacy with God and forfeiting your eternal purpose in life. But the moment that you choose money and possessions and then live for it and pursue it with your life, that's exactly what you're choosing to do. So, a little bit heavy today, eh? Kind of hits home. But I think it's so necessary for our generation to hear. Now, once again, please don't judge anybody else. Okay, this is a message for you to judge yourself and your heart and what you're truly pursuing with your life. Are you pursuing money, success, fame, the things and the you know, earthly treasures in your life? Is that what you really wake up for every single day? Is that what you dream about when you have nothing to do? Or are you pursuing eternal treasures, the things that count? for eternity, loving God, loving others with all that you have. Today is a great day for us to examine our hearts honestly. And if you're married, it's a great day to sit down and talk with your spouse. Maybe you've never done that before. Today's a great day to start doing that and ask yourselves, hey, what are we really living for? What are we really modeling to our kids? And maybe today will be the day that you like, man, let's live for God. Let's start taking some risks for the kingdom. Let's just show, you know, let's be a couple that just wants to make God great. And let's be a couple that models how awesome that is for our children. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, treasures that will last, treasures that will count, treasures that make Christ great, and treasures that bring us true joy. Cool? That's our message for today. I want to end our message with two suggestions on how we can do this, and I'll close with one final thought. Here are two suggestions on how we can do this. Number one, fix your eyes upon Christ. Our eyes determine the prize. Okay, Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4 says this. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, essentially what these verses are doing is they're rebuking us of any notion that we might have of passive Christianity. You know, I'm talking about passive Christianity. A lot of times we think, you know, we know that we're not close with God, but we just kind of just say passive. We kind of think, oh, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to do something one day in me. 
And he's going to wake me up one day, I guess, when I need to. And so that's how we live, passively. Well, you know what I say to that? No. Nothing in the Bible says that that stuff's going to happen. If it does happen, that's just God's grace. God is gracious enough to do that many times within people's lives, maybe even within our lives, and it's awesome, and we should be thankful. But on the whole... I think it's a lot like what Joshua tells the Israelites in the book of Joshua. He just says what? We must choose this day whom we are going to serve. That's what it takes. right? Which means that we need to choose to set our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. And when we do and when we invest everything to pursue Christ, our hearts will soon follow. That's what he said, right? Where your treasure is, your heart will soon follow. But it begins with what we choose to look at every day. So begin your day focused and fixated upon Christ. Run after him and everything else will follow. Number two. Be a master of your money and possessions, not its slave, okay? Become a master of your money and possessions. You know, the antidote to greed is generosity, okay? So therefore what? Use your wealth and possessions to serve others. Now, hey, Eddie, I don't have a lot of money. Yes, you do. All of us in this room, all of us watching, we are wealthy, Okay, if you live in the Western world, you are wealthy. I don't care if you're on COVID payments or if you're on you know, government, you're wealthy. You can use your money and your possessions to serve other people. Use them as tools to build the kingdom and then to build the kingdom in others. Be generous with your money and your stuff to serve and minister to others. First Timothy or 1 Timothy 6 17 to 19 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Here we go. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. No matter how much you have or you don't have, everything that God gives us are tools that we can use to serve other people, to show and share the gospel with other people, and to love people into the kingdom with, right? We can use everything that God has given us to help others grow Christ, grow in Christ, and to know Christ. So use your money and your possessions in a generous way. When we do, not only do we become masters of our money and possessions, but we become ministers who reveal the generosity of the gospel to this world. So stop being a slave. Love God and love others by using your money and possessions for his glory. Let me just share one thought with you, and then I'll close. And it has to do with perspective. You know, it's funny how our view of success has pervaded our faith so deeply. And I think it's bad. You know, if there's anything that I want you to look at as we close, it's Jesus Christ. And I want you to consider his life and see how maybe he would have been seen in the world's eyes today in 2020. 
Okay. You know, according to our standards of success, Jesus had to be considered one of the worst failures, I think, in history. Right? If we were to assess him in 2020, I think he'd be a failure. He disappointed his friends and his followers. His family considered him a hopeless dreamer. He was trained for a respectable trade, which is carpentry, but he turned his back on it. He never drew a salary, never saved any money, never even owned a house in which to live. He never achieved any of the status symbols that we might consider important today. Maybe today would be what? Maybe a brand new car, 75-inch TV, uni degree, whatever it is, right? The only status symbol he achieved was actually the lowest one that was possible in his own society in the year 0 or 30 AD, which is what? The cross, right? And when he died upon the cross, he suffered a lonely death because all of his friends deserted him. Today, we call Jesus what? Lord, right? We call him Lord. You are our Lord. But I bet hardly any of us worship the kind of life that it took to accomplish the success that he achieved. And that's because our view of success and the riches and riches are still so intimately tied up with this world's view of success and riches. And I think Christ is challenging that view today. As a matter of fact, he's even saying that that view's got to be destroyed if you're going to have any chance of safeguarding your blessings in Christ and truly living for what's eternal. So therefore, every day that you wake up, we need to choose to live for eternal success. We need to choose to live for eternal riches because even though it didn't look like it, that's all Christ ever did. Even though he used it, Christ never loved money. He never loved the things of this world so that he could be completely devoted to living for the next. Does that mean I have to be poor or sell my possessions or give up everything that I own? And the answer is no, of course not. It just means that from now on, from this point on, we as his followers who want to live out his righteousness, we choose to see every dollar and we choose to see every possession as an entrusted tool for us to use to build God's kingdom and not our own. Store up treasures in heaven. Let your whole body be full of light. Love God alone and serve others generously. Let's pray. I just want to invite you to take a hard look, hard, honest look at ourselves, you know? Maybe look at the ways that you might be living for money as your master, and if you see that, call it out today. Just call it out. And just say, God, you know, forgive me for living with money and possessions as my master here in this area, in this area. Let's repent of those things, and let's refocus our hearts on the only thing that counts, the only thing that lasts, which is Christ. And let's pursue, let's pursue him and his treasures without compromise. You know, if you've never given your life to Jesus, Jesus died for all of these sins. I'd like to invite you to come and repent of all those sins. Put your faith in Christ so that you might be forgiven. Put your faith in Christ so that his righteousness can now clothe you and cover you and empower you to live for him. Let's surrender our lives and live for Jesus today. And lastly, if you're already a believer, let's live like Christ did, using everything that God gave us not to invest in the treasures of this world, but as tools to invest in treasures for the next.
Let's make Christ our greatest treasure. Let's pray. Father, we've already lost so many. Father, it's too powerful. That love of money is too powerful. We've lost so many. pray first bring them back Father be gracious show them how much more valuable you are and God once again cover them with your grace that they might just be overwhelmed and Father realize that nothing in this world compares to you and God I pray that you guard every heart that's in this room every heart that's watching or hearing and Father you convince us that there is nothing worth living for here everything that we do have and everything that you give us we can use to make you greater to make the kingdom greater in people and father to enjoy everything for eternity continually convince us of the uselessness of living for things in this world that father we would be courageous enough excited enough to be able to give all things to you Help us to truly live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.